This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. We're flooded with emotions constantly, and the emotions we're flooded with have to do with the lens through which we see the world. But as all of that's happening, no one's actually teaching us through those moments to learn to feel your emotions in those moments, name your emotions, notice how they make you want to react, and then to tolerate feeling them without behaviorally acting them out. Welcome to the new and improved 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we're going to explore the challenges of getting life insurance when you're a type 2 diabetic. We're also going to discuss if mindfulness leads to grace. And then we're going to learn the signs you shouldn't eat at that restaurant. And lastly, we're going to talk about health literacy in Canada. But first, a bit of business. Today's show is brought to you by typetrue.ca. Getting life insurance for type 2 diabetics can be a confusing and frustrating experience. Many type 2 diabetics buy life insurance products that are either way too expensive or take too long to buy. Take the simple first step of finding out right away if you're eligible for low-cost life insurance and how much you would pay monthly. Go to typetrue.ca. Most type 2 diabetics are surprised how affordable life insurance is. For example, a 55-year-old type 2 diabetic can get $250,000 of life insurance for only $86 a month. And remember, your information and quotes are completely confidential and there's no obligation to buy. So if you're a type 2 diabetic, take your best first step in buying life insurance by going to typetrue.ca. That's T-Y-P-E-T-R-U-E dot C-A. Boris Brazelli is an actuary. Over the last 20 years, his consulting practice provided sales growth and marketing advice to insurance organizations and startups in Asia, Australia, Europe, Africa, and North America. He's previously founded successful startups, and he's also the founder and CEO of typetrue.ca. Welcome to The Tonic, sir. Hi, Jamie. We're here to talk about some challenges that people with type 2 diabetes have in getting insurance coverage. And these are things that people might not think about, but if you're in the middle of this mess, it can be quite distressing, right? Very much so. In fact, uh, what distinguishes type 2 diabetics and people with some other chronic illnesses when it comes to buying life insurance is if somebody is reasonably healthy, buying insurance can be very easy. You can find out the prices online. You can uh, very easily find an agent from whom you can buy. And life insurance is pretty cheap. So for those people, there's no issues. However, for type 2 diabetics to get information about what life insurance for them specifically involves is typically quite hard. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. What is type 2 diabetes and what do type 2 diabetics look like? Well, there are some stereotypes around of what type 2 diabetics look like. You know, some people think they're overweight. Uh, Some people, uh, you know, they imagine all sorts of uh, things about how they eat, what they look like, etc. But you know what? What I found personally, having met a lot of type 2 diabetics, those are just stereotypes. They come in all shapes and sizes. Right. So it, it could range in age from people in their 20s, 30s. Yeah. Yes. Yes. However, right. the vast majority of 
type 2 diabetics are uh, concentrated at ages 50 and over. There's okay. not a lot of younger type 2 diabetics, even though the people that I've met and that motivated me in part to do this venture are younger type 2 diabetics. Predominantly, they're, you know, 50 plus kind of age. Contrast type 1 with type 2. Type 1 is, is hereditary, and Type 1, right? the easy way to think about it is like this. Type 1 is no insulin. Okay, and insulin is what you need to stick glucose, to stick energy into your cells. Okay. Type two is you do have insulin, but it either doesn't work too well or you don't have enough of it. Okay. And this is something that, you know, people aren't necessarily born with. What happens is over the course of their lifetime, due to their lifestyle decisions, etc. Yes. It develops. You know what? There's certainly a lot of very strong evidence that there's. And it's very high correlation to your behaviors, right. meaning what you eat, how active you are, etc. There's also some evidence that there's a genetic component to type 2 diabetes. But really, is there any one specific definite cause identified? Not quite. No, but it impacts so many people. I mean, you reach a certain age, you go to your doctor, and you know if you're carrying extra weight uh, and you're sedentary, you know, you're, you're probably higher risk or, or pre-diabetic. I know that's not a term that people use anymore, but, you know, you can sort of see yourself tracking and trending in a certain direction. And I know personally, I made lifestyle changes uh, so that I didn't go down that path. And I know, you know, you're, you're similarly working on issues yourself. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Interestingly, it would have made a great origin story for right. this website if I was a type 2 diabetic, but I wasn't. However, having said that, because I'm a hypochondriac, <laughs> I was an imaginary type 2 diabetic. Right. So at one time when I decided, because I'm a hypochondriac, as I said, that uh, I'm a type, I have type 2 diabetes. Right. Because you convinced I, yourself. Oh, right? I definitely, I diagnosed myself in no time. I decided to research this disease. Okay. Right. And that's in part, you know, what led me to building this. Well, fantastic. What are, what are the challenges that people who have been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes face uh, when they're trying to get life insurance? Well, number one challenge is very simple. Is Let's say you want to buy something, okay? And you want to find out how much it costs, okay? There's no obvious easy way for a type 2 diabetic to find that price, which is boggles my mind because today everybody believes I can go online and find out anything, right? Right. Like everybody goes straight away, type something into Google, pop. You know, here pops something. But if you're type 2 diabetic and you want to find out how much insurance costs, well, it, it turns out next to impossible tasks. You can go to some websites which may give you indications, get into a lot of discussions, but no simple tool that you can go online and say, okay, this is the type 2 diabetic that I am. Give me an idea of what the price is. Because there's different types of type 2 diabetics, right? Isn't that also an issue that everybody sort of perceives that they're in one big group and that may not be the case, right? It's a highly heterogeneous group, highly heterogeneous. In fact, that is why the problem exists. Everybody who is healthy at a particular age, you know, they're in a category of healthy. Yes. Okay, And they would all get the same price, for example, for life insurance, 
that a healthy person would get. Right. In fact, some healthier people could get an even better price. Very few. For t- yes, I used I used I used to qualify for like the super rates. And not and I, anymore. The last time I went for life insurance, even as much as I work out and as as healthy as I am, I did not qualify. It's oh, very right. hard. when you get older. It's much harder to qualify. Weird. We should talk about this after yeah. the show. <laughs> but bottom line is, is for diabetic, the outcomes in life insurance can range from getting a price as good as a non-diabetic to being actually declined for life insurance coverage. Well, that seems unfair. And there, there's an inherent unfairness to the whole process too, isn't there? Well, the unfairness comes from the fact that the life insurance generally is designed for healthy people. 95% of people who get life insurance are healthy. Right. So therefore, the way life insurance, uh, life insurers design their products is for healthy people. Of course, there are modifications that can address people with different illnesses, but they are typically an afterthought. And that's where the process is unfair. One is because it's not transparent. Two is because it's built for healthy people. It's not designed with diabetics in mind. When I when I try and get insurance, I guess one of the impediments is there's really no way of getting accurate information or quotes without dealing with an agent or broker. And sometimes you just kind of want to know where you stand w- without having to go through the sales pitch or feeling pressured that there's a next step where you're going to have to buy, that, right? That is exactly, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, to talk a little, to use a little bit of um, marketing lingo. Yeah. A customer typically faces what is called two moments of truth, two important moments of truth. The first moment of truth is when somebody realizes, hey, I need life insurance. Right. Okay? They haven't decided to buy life insurance, but they decided that they need it and they want to understand what life insurance is, how much they need, what is the price. Or what's different from the life insurance they had when they were healthy, right? Absolutely. Like, because most people, if you're, if, if, you're, if you're developing the illness when you're in your 50s, you've probably already bought at least one or two rounds of life Absolutely. insurance. Absolutely. You usually would have some term insurance right. to protect your income. So having said that... The second moment of truth. Yes. The second moment of truth is when you actually say, okay, I'm ready to buy. Okay? And... In that moment, you definitely want to reach out to somebody who can help you buy the right product. Right. And may, reaching out to an insurance agent is the right step to of do Of course. That. Yeah. But if when you are, you simply want to go online like everybody does today and say, okay, let me understand what this means to buy life insurance for a diabetic. And there are websites, I, I got to say, say, full disclosure, yeah. many websites will talk about this issue. But for you to find out what the, the as simple a thing as what is my price, you can't. Which is really the crux of the issue. When you're buying insurance, it becomes an exercise in trying to limit the amount of premiums that you're paying and maximizing the payout, right? It's, 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 it's a simple calculation, it's, le- it's, less for more, right? You know? yeah, exactly. The thing is, when it comes to life insurance, a lot of people make a big deal of how much do you, life insurance do you need? Yeah, and I have some rules of thumb that I tell people, I tell them, look, first of all, some is better than none. Okay, so make sure you buy something. Something. Okay, as opposed to get uh, get confused and not get anything. And second, you know what? If you're protecting your income, you can't go wrong like getting ten times your pre-tax income. Okay, if you're older, five times is good enough. 
And that's it. You just need a rule of thumb. Get the coverage. And that's much more important, you know, than getting the, you know, best absolute price. I think the other anxiety that people have when they're looking into this is, you know, oh, my God, what if I don't qualify? And there's, you know, part of the problem is there's a whole process as things exist right now where you have to fill out applications in order to find out whether or not you're going to qualify. Right. It isn't instantaneous. Right. So there's that lag between when you think you want insurance and I guess whether or not you're going to qualify, right? Right. And here you're getting to a crux of what we built and why it's innovative. We created several customer-oriented tools that they can use themselves and tools that we can use once we engage the customer. We use technology called machine learning based on which we optimize every step of a type 2 diabetics buying journey of life insurance. We instantly know what is the best possible product and the best possible company for the type 2 diabetic. The more information we have, the better we are able to direct them. And when people come to our site, they can very easily find out what their price is. They can find out what could happen if their uh, habits improve, what their price would be in that case. That's the purpose of our site is to give empower people in their decision making. And not everybody who has type 2 diabetes is necessarily going to get coverage, right? No, no. First of all, I got to point out, this is not a buying site. Okay. You go to this site, first, we want to give type 2 diabetics the first place to go to find out about what is life insurance likely to cost for me. Right. So there's no obligation to buy. They can just play around with our tool and find out what life insurance would cost. So if people want to uh, want to engage us and buy life insurance from us, we're glad to help. But first and foremost, we want to help people understand where they are at the point of journey that they are at. Right. So getting back to my question, though, not everybody's necessarily going to qualify. No, no. I mean, so you're not making promises to the effect that, you know, this site will help you get insurance. Rather, this is to inform you where you stand in the universe, right? Like, Yes. It's also to point you out on the right path right. right away. The analogy I like using is that it's like a GPS, okay? used to be a time where you would drive to get somewhere you drive around the neighborhood right and then you'd start asking locals experts right uh, how do I get there but not if you're a male apparently only women <laughs> yeah, ask yeah, directions right okay <laughs> with the me too era I'm saying nothing okay. <laughs> however we're liking this tool to a GPS it's a technology that lets you know where you are and how do you get to your goal as opposed to talking to experts who can give you advice. However, that advice takes time. It may be different from different types of experts. Our technology is optimized. When it comes to certain tasks, machines are simply better than people. And making full disclosure here, you are not an insurer. You're not an insurance company. You're independent of the insurance companies. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, we don't care from which insurer you get the policy through us. We make sure they're high-quality insurers, and they will stay solvent for a very long time. But other than that, we shop across all of them 
to get you the best customer experience and the best deal. But this is a commerce site in the sense that if somebody were ready to pull the trigger, they are able to purchase insurance through you. Is that right? Absolutely. And if I wanted to access uh, your website, could I do it through my phone or a tablet or do I need to have a desktop? Any which way. I mean, uh, we, in fact, we designed the website to be very mobile friendly first. A lot of people don't sit at their desktop, you know, to shop. That used to be the case. But many people today want a quick experience, you know. And here, in five minutes, you can get oriented as to what's the deal with this. If I'm a type 2 diabetic, what's the deal with life insurance? And the website again is? It's a type true. Okay, as you can see, yeah. it's a play on words to yeah. type 2. Yeah. It's type true, T-Y-P-E-T-R-U-E. Well, thank you for coming in today. Will you come back again? With pleasure, if you'll have me. (laughs) Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll see if mindfulness leads to race. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained, natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Welcome back. My next guest is local yogi Tracy Sagrati. She has a post-secondary education in biology, molecular biology, nursing, acute care, public health education, and Swedish and Thai massage. She leads classes and teaches other yogis how to teach yin yoga. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, Jamie. I'm so excited to be here, especially with regards to this topic. Yes. So in the October issue of Tonic, I wrote in my publisher's note about my reaction to a guest on this show who failed to show up and did not offer any warning or explanation in advance. And, you know, mindful and enlightened Jamie (laughs) tried to... (laughs) suppress his visceral anger. Rage, rage. Rage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, rage and all sorts of other collateral behavior um, with limited success. And it got me talking with you about the connection between mindfulness and grace. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about grace. What is grace? How would you define it? Yeah. So, you know, uh, when we started talking about this, I thought, okay, well, I have my own idea of what grace is, but I just need to, I'm going to do a little bit of research and see what I find out there in the world. 
And one of the things that I really noted is that there are kind of, well, there are a couple of different camps. So there's the Christian idea of grace. But if we look at secular society in the way, in a contemporary way, we use the word grace. There's two different things that it means. Uh, There's graceful movement. So there's having grace in your body. And there's also having grace in your behavior. And when I broke that down to individual words, because we understand things through language, I found that grace means poise or elegance or coherent and integrated movement. Or control. 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 There's a huge element of control. But in behavior, it's like being decent, having decency or being composed or dignified or um, this final thing I call kind of added for myself, having mastery of body and mind or mastery of the self. So what underlies this sort of nebulous concept, concept. Of, of, of grace, right? <laughs> like, like what's underneath it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for me, I was looking at it and I was reflecting on it and I was thinking about all the people in my life, including you. And I was thinking, so I see two things. The first thing that I see is discipline. Yeah. And, you know, this is tricky. Like if you unpack whether we're talking about the way that we move our body or uh, what we do with our behavior or what's happening in our mind, all of it requires a lot of discipline. When you think about an athlete who's graceful, like think about when you're watching the Olympics, for example, where people are, you know, the best of their best. You see this person move in a way that looks completely effortless. But they've trained for it, right? But they, that's the thing, right? right? In order to get to that place where you're moving with such grace and elegance, where everything is integrated all at once, that person has worked harder than they ever thought they would work in their life. And when they wanted to quit, they've had to work even harder. And it's in the minutia too, right? It's in the minutia. It's all in the details. And then on top of that, if you look at the mind, for example, you know, and this this is where we, we sort of look at uh, the second piece, which is emotional regulation. Right. Which is where I struggle. Well, yeah. And you know, not just you. Sometimes I make fun of you and, and tease you about it. You're not the only one. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> but, but like, listen, it's everyone, right? right? And, you know, every day we, we're flooded with emotions constantly. And the emotions we're flooded with have to do with the lens through which we see the world. So, right. you know, we're these individuals who are born into specific families. These families have, you know, each of us have our own particular history. Yep. And that constructs the way through which we see the world. And then map on top of that, we go to school and we're bullied or we're the bullies, you know, or it goes back and forth. And then we fall in love and we get our hearts broken and then we have to navigate social circles. And so all of that comes together and it creates this lens through which we see the world. But as all of that's happening, no one's actually teaching us through those moments to, well, or very rarely, to learn to feel your emotions in those moments, name your emotions, right? Notice how they make you want to react, yeah. Right, and then to tolerate feeling them without behaviorally acting them out. Well, I, I think yeah, and, <laughs> right, and, right. And, and you know, and, and I also think the way work society is constructed now, the way we communicate and interact, mm-hmm. it's really difficult to turn your mind to that sort of regulation because there's so many components, like like an internet when you're sitting in front of your computer and you're alone and nobody's with you. Nobody would dare say or do the things that they say online. 
in oh, real life. Absolutely. Or, you know, absolutely. Or, you know, for example, me behind the wheel of a car, I don't know that I would react the same way if I were standing behind or beside somebody as or I feel in my car, which is like both armor and a prison in a way, because it allows us to rage in ways that we wouldn't if we were more connected face-to-face. Yeah, absolutely. Or if someone was sitting beside you in right, the car. Right, exactly. Absolutely. Literally. No, no, no. You make a great point, right? And I think that when we look at the behavior that we display when we're alone, yeah. it, it's a great reflection of how we're talking to ourselves in our head. For sure. Right? So, like, when you bring these two things together, discipline and emotional regulation, right. when you tie them together, um, the, I think the question that you have to ask is, okay, well, I mean, how do you find those things, right? How do you cultivate emotional regulation? And the answer to that is actually mindfulness, which brings us really to why we're talking right, about exactly. this today. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so the practice of mindfulness is about learning to be present with yourself in all of the moments where you would normally go on autopilot, right? And when you go on autopilot, it just means that you're walking through your life or driving through your life and you're being triggered. So we all have all of these invisible buttons that exist inside of us from all of those things that I talked about earlier, you know, our histories, our relationships, all of our regrets that we're nurturing. Yep. So we walk through life and our buttons are being pushed. And in this autopilot way, as soon as that button is pushed, this whole cascade of effects comes out, right? But the thing is with the brain is, you know, because we're on autopilot, once the effects start rolling out, there's no way to stop it. Well, it's reactive, right? It's if, reactive. If, if you're not on top of it in advance yes. and, and regulating and modulating your behavior, yeah. then all you're experiencing is visceral reaction to, to what's impacting you. So like, I know if I'm upset about something, I'm more likely to rage about something completely unrelated because I'm already in a heightened emotional state. Yeah, you're triggered. So help me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Help me. That's why you're here. Yes. Okay. So the answer to this is simple, but not easy. Right. And I find as most answers are, they're simple and not easy. So the key is to practice mindfulness every day. And so for you, that might look like sitting in meditation. It might, you know, sometimes I tell people to lie down on the bed. So you just lie down or sit and close your eyes and become aware of four things. First, your body, and you become aware of sensation without creating a whole story around it. Right? Next, you become aware of your breath, again, without trying to modulate it, make it faster or slower. From there, you begin to notice what's happening in your mind. So the purpose, and this is, this is what you need to do, and mm-hmm. most people... The purpose is to notice what's happening in your mind and to learn to tolerate it. Hmm. Okay. Now, what that will do if you practice doing it every day, because this is the thing, these things need to be practiced regularly. Just like the athletes. Just like the athletes. Exactly. It has to happen all the time, right? You know, sometimes people say to me, oh, on, you know, one day a week, I sit down and meditate for like an hour. I would rather you sit down for five minutes a day, to be honest, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's the it's the regularity that makes a difference. So anyway, you sit with yourself and you learn to tolerate what's coming up in the mind and in the body. And you'll become more and more aware of the whole cornucopia of emotions that you're experiencing and how those emotions create sensation. And over time, the next level of awareness is going to be that you're going to realize that not everything that you're feeling is even real, nor is it logical, nor is it rational. And as you get comfortable 
sitting in that reality right. that you're not right all the time, right? Well, that's a difficult one. Yeah, that, it's, well, it's, and it's hard for everybody, right. right? Because we walk around thinking that we're the star of the show. We're the star of our own show. Well, you may think it, but I know it. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I love you. So, okay, so we walk around thinking that we're the star yeah. of our own show yeah. and that everybody else is a supporting actor. Yes. So as you learn to sit with yourself and tolerate all of your feelings and all of your emotions without creating elaborate stories that allow you to be either the hero or the victim, right? either or, mm-hmm. and you realize that, okay, well, you know what? I'm having these emotional reactions, but they're not even necessarily real. It gives you just a little bit of a practical space between the trigger, the button being pushed, and the reaction, okay? Yep. But it takes a lot of time of doing it when you're in a non-triggered state so that the space is available when you are in a triggered state. Do you see what I'm saying? No, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, So, and this is why the regularity is so key, right? And this is where people kind of go into, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to start a mindfulness practice or I'm going to start a meditation practice. And then it kind of peters out because they do that, you know, they try to do a long sit one time a week. Yep. And it's like, it really is in the details. And it's in, in the details, what it's about is really learning to tolerate being with yourself. You know, we spend a lot of time distracting ourselves with phones and the internet and other people and shopping, and I could go on forever. Um, so that we don't have to tolerate being with ourselves. But the more you can tolerate being with you, the more you can tolerate the things that feel really uncomfortable and lean into that. And the more you can tolerate the things that really bring you joy without being afraid that those things are going to go away. Wow. There's a lot there. Yeah. Will you come back next month and talk about tolerating yourself? I think that's a really interesting concept. Yeah, I would. It's one of my favorite concepts. I would love to talk about that. Fantastic. I'm in. Good. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to discuss the signs that you shouldn't eat at that restaurant on the tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Did you know that October is non-GMO month? The Big Carrot has been advocating against GMOs in our food system since 1999, and they are the founding members of the Non-GMO Project. This food label provides verified non-GMO choices and protects our right to know what's in the food we feed our families. Be sure to look for the butterfly when you shop. The Big Carrot, living better together. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Vito Marinuzzi, was born and raised in Toronto's East End. He came up in the restaurant industry the old-fashioned way through nepotism. His cousin, restaurateur Gina Rana, hired him as a 15-year-old dishwasher and busser and later gave him a shot as a waiter. 
Vito's job was as much to fight the prevailing whitewashed version of Italian food in Toronto as it was to get people to try the good stuff, and he did. Now, as co-owner with his famous mom of two locations of seven numbers on the Danforth and Eglinton West, Vito knows that the food his kitchens prepare not only preserve that culinary heritage, but innovate within it. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. So there's eight gazillion restaurants in our city. That's a fair estimate, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's about right. And... Every weekend, you know, my wife and I have the same conversation. Where are we going to go? Are we going to try something new? And, you know, whenever you go to a new restaurant or you consider a restaurant, whether you're walking by or contemplating, you're taking a risk, you know, because it's your evening and do you want to go there? Do you not want to go there? I think we all choose the new restaurant based on what we've read or who we've heard it from or a referral. Probably 90% is going to be a referral. Right. I mean, the local restaurant you walk into without hesitation, you don't think about anything. Right. That's just where you go. But sometimes, you know, you may find yourself in a situation where you're in a neighborhood and you're hungry and you want to go in. You may want to try a restaurant, but there may be some signals or signs that that may not be the best place to go to. And I thought it might be helpful to our listeners to sort of go over what should we care about or maybe not care about so much in terms of what we see. Be aware of. Yeah, exactly. Like you open the door and you're greeted, hopefully, within a minute. Right. That's a good sign. If you stand there and everybody's kibitzing at the bar and not addressing you, that's yeah, I don't, like, I don't like being ignored. Pretty, nope. pretty, no one likes being ignored. Yeah, you know, sometimes you'll come in and it's clear, you know, somebody's, the host or hostess is on the phone and they're taking a reservation. That you can tolerate. That's, well, it's becoming commonplace because the phone is the reservation system and they've either sent people to a bar and they're texting them to come back, whatever their system may be. So I've had that happen a few times lately. We walk in and you're standing there and she's texting. And you're thinking, man, really? And then you quickly realize what's happening. She's actually doing her job. She's She's doing her job. We're just not used to it happening in front of us, I guess. No, I guess it's it's not really millennial nonsense. I suppose there's there's one (laughs) sign, there's one sign that, you know, that you might not want to go eat at a restaurant that's sort of plastered on the window. So when you see in Toronto, you know, the restaurants are graded uh, through the health department. Yeah. Uh, and if there's a red sign, you're not going in, right? That, well, that's, if there's a red sign, you can't go in. Because it's closed. Because it's closed. The yellow means that they've had an infraction in the last usually 48 hours to a week. Right. And they've had a X amount of time to repair that problem. So, like, if you see a restaurant, and, you know, interestingly, I'm not going to name names and I'm not going to ask you to, but, like, you know, we, we've had restaurants that we quite enjoy. And then, you know, we'll see, oh, they had a conditional, which is, right. which is the yellow sign. And you start to wonder, what does that mean? Does that mean they have a dirty kitchen or, you know, like, what's going on, right? I mean, today's rule is I think you're allowed three minors or one major infraction. So... I wouldn't be that alerted to a yellow. It's pretty easy these days to get a yellow. What, what I'm only of, saying that because I'm in the business. No, 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 no. And that's why yeah. you're here. Like when you see a yellow, typically what kind of stuff is it? Is it, If you had three small things, let's say one soap dispenser was empty, one thermometer wasn't in a fridge, and uh, maybe you had a container that didn't have a lid on it in the fridge. Right. That's three minors. Three minors, that, and, that, and that's a yellow. That justifies a yellow. Okay, so right, it isn't so, necessarily that somebody got ill or... No, if you wanted to, you can go on the website and go and see what the actual infractions were, and then you could see, oh, you know, rodent infestation, or you could see fridges were broken or down or dishwasher at wrong temperature. Those are all big things. Right. You know, your dishwasher not giving off the right temperature or chemicals, that's a big deal because dishes are going through there. Right, so when a restaurant gets a red, they can still fix that, correct? Or is they, that, they or, can, but it's, it stays, I believe you have a week, like you're closed. 
For no, a, I understand you're closed, yeah. and then you have, they have to come back and see that you yes, fixed it. Yeah. But once you fix it's, it, to you, get it, so to get a red, you've had to have had a lot of yellows and or a lot of infractions that you haven't fixed. It's pretty hard. Like I've asked, even if you had a major, they generally would just be like, "Let's fix this quickly." Here's a yellow. You'd have to have gone through some process, like having too many speeding tickets, and then finally they say, "Okay, get a careless driving ticket." Okay. I think that's how they're working. All right. So. That's sort of obvious. Less obvious issues are, let's say, you, you, you know, you're walking in a neighborhood and you, you decide you want to go to a restaurant and you walk in and it's very, very slow, as in you're the only people there. To me, that's a red flag. Should I really be worried about that? Listen, it happens to us all the time when I have an empty restaurant. I don't believe you. Well, you know, you have two tables and you think, oh man, this slow just doesn't feel right. And there's no vibe in the room because there's right. not yeah, enough yeah. people in the room. And our servers are great when it's packed. So is our kitchen. When we're slow, we're all stumbling over each other and the kitchen's sitting around waiting. So it's hard. But you could, I mean, you could use that as a guide if it's Saturday night. Right. I was going to say, yeah. it's, it's one thing if, you know, if you're, if you're Tuesday at seven o'clock and there's leaf game on, you're like, ah, okay, maybe. Or you're an early bird, right? Like, you know, yeah, you, of course. you know, if you're going for dinner at five 30 and the restaurant isn't busy, there's probably a good reason for that. It isn't their high time yet. No, no. But you're right. On a Saturday night, if it's not busy. If it's really quiet and you've walked through a neighborhood and everybody else is busy, that's a pretty good sign you're not a popular spot. Right. Okay. And there's things that flow from that. Like, for example, atmosphere. So. Yeah. We talked, I think we talked about this last time, about, right. you know, being a show and you need the audience. Right. You touched upon it at the very beginning, staff. So mm-hmm. if you're being ignored when you walk in, that's bad. But it's also when you're being ignored, like if you're sitting at the table, there's a certain kind of time period. Like if somebody doesn't bring me a menu within a certain time period, that kind of makes me antsy. I mean, it happens where you are short staffed and very busy. And there's a rule that if you just go by and explain, hey, I'm really busy, I'll be back in two minutes with the menu, that buys you five or ten minutes. For sure. Right, right. Versus just total ignoring. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been to restaurants where for 15 minutes, nobody has come by. And to me, that just means either you're overwhelmed and something's going to go wrong in the meal, either something's not going to be brought out. But someone sat you. Yeah. Well, that, So that's the, not a team that's kind of working together. No, correct, right? And like, that's where you'll, like when any restaurant, you'll see a team. And we go out and we'll say, like, man, this place is really running smoothly. It just means the hostess can see the waiter's busy and she'll come over and give you the menu. And the waiter will pop by and say, hey, you know, give me a minute, I'll be right back. And then you know you're being taken care of. Yeah. But the minute you're fully ignored, it's kind of like a sign that there's a problem from the top. Right. And, you know, you can be ignored throughout your meal. It's kind of too late, right? Like the, the, well, deci- the decision whether you should have eaten there is sort of ex post when you're being ignored, you know, between the courses. But, you know, it's lessons for next time. Once right? a dinner goes south in the first five minutes, pretty hard to turn around it's mentally, hard- like as the customer. Right. Because you're like, oh, that's wrong. This is wrong. That My water's not cold enough. Like it just everything gets nitpicked. Right. You know, sometimes I don't go to a restaurant because you walk up and sometimes the menu will be in the window. And if, if it's, I call them like index menus, like, yep. and, and it's usually like the chains who will go unnamed, but they're trying to be everything for everybody. And to me, that's a sign that I don't want to go eat there because so I don't. For me personally, I, that is a sign. Right. I'll show up at restaurants with people and be like, there's no direction on the menu. What, what culture are they serving? Right. Exactly. And, you know, we talked about it before. Most restaurants have two or three showcase dishes yep. that, you know, that's what they're known for. And everything else, it's not like everything else isn't good, but, but you want to order, you want to order the good stuff because that's what's going to bring you back again and again, you know, for example, your mom's lasagna. Exactly. Yeah. You know, There's you, lots you, of restaurants that have their signature items and that's what keeps you coming back. Right. And how do you navigate that when well, you've got, I would say you, that's the waiter's job or your research. 
No, but if the menu is five pages long, I mean, I wouldn't know where to start. Well, that's a flag from the beginning that right, it's exactly. five pages no, no. long, yes. But, but that's right. my point. I, I, do, I refuse to go into those restaurants. Because if it's five pages long, it means you can have your kids and your grandparents there and let's just have dinner. Yeah. It's a different dining experience. Right. The other thing I, I try and avoid, and it's interesting because you and I have a mutual friend who sniffs these restaurants out, and that is restaurants that are just opened. Yes. I think that when you go to a restaurant in the first couple of weeks, you're probably not getting the best experience because they're still ironing out all the details. People are learning. The kitchen is learning how to execute the food. And, like, and sure, like. you're right. You're giving them some leeway, but really you're paying full price on day one. Right, exactly. You're paying full price on month three. So it should be the same and it should be exactly what you expect it to be. Right. But I, you know, I reviewed restaurants for a number of years and I found that, you know, if I got sent out too early, if they were just opened, it was never the same experience as once they caught their stride, you know, maybe even a few weeks later. It's like a sports team. It just takes a few weeks for the staff to jive with the kitchen and then they kind of hit their groove. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. You should wait a month or two, but... That would kill every restaurant if we all did that. Okay, is there anything else? Like for me, and you know, maybe a bit of a food snobbery, and I, I want to talk about that in the next time. But like, I really don't dig the chain restaurants, and by chains, you know, I'm not talking about fast food. I'm talking about the mid-level restaurants where you know there's three or four in a city, and they have national commercials. To me. It's sort of a vacant food experience. Do you feel the same way? I do, yeah. I mean, I try not to go to a restaurant that I can't find out uh, the name of an owner, like where you know, Jimmy Smith owns that. That's great. Right. Whereas if it's a chain restaurant, I mean, of course we all go to them. If we go to them for a reason. It's just for dining, like because you brought your kids and your grandparents. Continuity, right? You, right. Like there's so many restaurants you have to go to to please all those palates. But if it's just me and you going out for dinner, then... We want those other restaurants. Right. Okay, so next month when you come back, I want to talk, I want to do a little Anthony Bourdain versus Guy Fieri. I want the food snob versus the food populism. Can we cover that next time? I'll think about it. Okay, you think about it, but that's what we're doing because it's my (laughs) show. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to talk about health literacy on The Tonic. And now the soul segment with spiritual medium, transpersonal therapist and teacher, Lisa Marvin. Through her use of tarot cards, your questions about love, money, and career are sure to be answered. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for this week's soul segment. The way this works is that I've pulled three cards to get a glimpse as to what to expect for the week. The first card is the energy that has brought you to where you are now. The second card is what you need to focus on right now. And the third card is the energy that's going to carry you into the future. This week, we'll be looking at how to gain more fulfillment in your life. The first card that we'll look at is the Tower card. The Tower card means that you've gone through a major transformation while searching for your fulfillment. The Tower knocked everything down and it can seem confusing. However, the Tower forces you to rebuild on a firmer ground. So although it might have seemed like a struggle, you will actually come out even stronger than before. This week, you have to focus on the Page of Wands. Pages bring messages and wands deal with the self and your personal creativity. This is a great time to connect to your intuition and your creativity by looking for new ways to add fulfillment into your life. Once you do, you have the Six of Cups. The Six of Cups means that you will be able to finally enjoy a childlike happiness one that you haven't experienced in quite a while. Your joy will be contagious as you feel like you've finally gotten the fulfillment that you've always wanted. Good luck and looking forward to connecting again with you next week. 
This has been the Soul Segment with Lisa Marvin. To contact Lisa with your questions, please visit metaphysique.ca. At Caregiver Services Limited, we specialize in 12 to 24-hour private care for seniors in private homes, hospitals, or facilities. We provide the highest level of customized service for families looking for a caregiver or personal support worker. To ensure the highest quality of care and support, we limit the number of clients we service. Whether you're looking for general live-in care or have more significant needs related to mobility issues, dementia, or palliative care, finding someone who's a great fit is most important. At Caregiver Services Limited, our highly experienced staff specialize in meeting the unique needs of 12 to 24-hour care. For more information, please visit caregiverservices.ca. Let our family help care for yours. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest is the Executive Director of ABC Life Literacy Canada. Mac Rogers works with a remarkable team of educators, programmers, and communicators to develop and share literacy programs with the communities across Canada. Mac has been developing educational programs for adults and children for over 15 years, the last seven of which were with ABC. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much, Jamie. According to a recent article put out by ABC, 60% of Canadians and 88% of seniors are not health literate. As October is Health Literacy Month, I thought it would be great to bring you on the show to address the issue. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We're very happy to be here to talk about it. Excellent. So what is meant by the phrase health literacy? So good health literacy really means that you can access, understand, evaluate, and communicate information that's related to the health, your health or the health of others that you care for. So what we think about it is our ambition is to create a healthier and more confident uh, group of Canadians by increasing focusing on their health literacy. And really to support this, what we've done is we've worked with Abbey Canada to create ABC Health Matters, a collection of tools and resources that are, are designed to help Canadians have more confidence, know their rights and responsibilities, increase their skills in managing their own health. So why is health literacy so important? Why do you think? At the deepest core, I mean, health is something that's just so personal. It's really frustrating and sometimes frightening to feel that you don't have control over your own health. And, and almost all of us have felt that at some point in our lives. Absolutely. And what we really wanted to do is take the time in October as Health Literacy Month to try to generate more of a conversation about health literacy and about how we can empower ourselves and how we can advocate for others. So what we, why do we think it's important? It's not just about us, but it's about our families, it's about our parents, it's about our children, and it's about the world around us. And if we can raise the level of conversation and have more people talking about this, it'll break down barriers, reduce stigma, and make it really something that we can all work better at. So you mentioned Health Literacy Month. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Like how long has it been going on and what does it entail? Yep. So it's been going on for quite a number of years, although it's kind of a secret at the moment. (laughs) So we're really trying to amplify it. And really what it is, it's about is trying to 
create a lot of conversation about it. So we've seen this kind of success in other challenges in our community. So thinking about uh, mental health or thinking about mindfulness or, or pieces of like that, or even the Me Too movement, where we're actually trying to generate conversation to raise awareness and then using that to leverage getting people to access more tools to get not just patients, but also doctors and pharmacists and our caregivers that support us every day to think, be a little bit more thoughtful about how we communicate, how we empower each other, and how we talk. Is it really a problem that people don't talk about health literacy? Funny, we had that big concern when we, we first launched the program, and we were wondering, are people going to talk about this? Because what we've seen when we first did the research is that so many people are, are terrified of talking, even with their doctors, about what actually is wrong. And they tend to uh, either avoid the conversation or they self-diagnose with, you know, Dr. Google and other um, tools like right. that, but they're yeah. not talking about the actual symptoms. Then when we brought our program into classrooms, what we found is in that safe environment of a trusted classroom and a trusted teacher, people really wanted to talk about this. People really needed to talk about this. And not just negative and, and scary experiences, but also good experiences. You know, I had this great doctor, this great pharmacist, or, or what have you. And we found that the conversation was really important, but no one knew how to start it. No one knew that they were allowed to talk about this. And so we're really trying to shine a light on it and say, yes, it's okay to talk about this. And we encourage it. We encourage people to go into their doctors, not just by themselves, but with an advocate or a friend or a partner that can really help you understand what's happening in such a stressful environment, but also, you know, break down any barriers you have, help with the language if that's an issue, or even just help understanding and being able to jot down notes. And, and when you're leaving, walk away, think about what are things I need to think about moving forward. You know, it's interesting. We had a segment a couple of weeks ago where the issue was, you know, dealing with crisis, right? Like a medical mm-hmm. crisis, because I think that's when most people experience the phenomenon of, of not feeling comfortable about their health or understanding what's being said about them. You know, like you're, you're being spoken to by a doctor who's giving you a diagnosis and, you know, in an emergency situation, there may be decisions that need to be made quickly or, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the prognosis, you know, isn't necessarily positive. And that can be a shock to people's system. You know, mm-hmm. and it occurred to me that, you know, having the tools available sort of before it gets to crisis is actually a very good thing. Absolutely. And this would be the perfect uh, example where you'd want the health passport. So that's a tool that we have that's downloadable from our website, abchealthmatters.ca. But right. the reason for that um, health passport is that you it kind of forces you to jot those things down, to say, like, what are the steps in adherence I need to do? Like, what are the lifestyle changes I need to make? Or what are the when do I take my drugs? And do I take them with food? And all the things that happen so quickly, and, and like you uh, so clearly stated, at these times of great stress. And this passport can be completed by you or your partner that you're there with, or even with the doctor, if you're very clear with them about what do I need to do, and and coming back to those questions and knowing that you have the right and the responsibility to be really clear about what you need to do to make yourself healthier. So this health passport, is it it formatted like a journal? What is it exactly? Yeah, it's essentially a downloadable PDF that people can print, and then they can fold it up so it fits in your pocket or your purse, and it has very distinct and clear questions and responses that you can just jot your notes in. I mean, and there are, don't get me wrong, there are apps for this type of thing, which are are great as well. But we find with a lot of our low literacy and ESL learners that sometimes paper is best. And it's nice to have it so you're not trying to figure out an app or typing things. You can just jot it down on a a post-it note or on the health passport and really take that away with you and then think about it later and make sure all those boxes are ticked before you leave. That's a good idea. Some of the other tools that you and I discussed uh, beforehand is a medical history card. What's that about? So 
one of the challenges we have is often people don't have their own doctor. Or they're, they're using walk-in clinics or hospitals and that sort of thing. So we created this medical history card that gives you the time when you're at home to completely fill it out, and it fills out any kind of medications you're already on or any kind of previous diagnosis you have. So when you walk in and your doctor or your pharmacist is starting to look at prescriptions or, or any sort of changes they want to make with you, you can give them this and say, this is what I have, and they can then think about what they're offering or what they're suggesting. So, you know, you have high blood pressure. Well, maybe this drug isn't the right one, but maybe this one is. So it allows you that kind of safety barrier where you can actually use what you have already have, and it also creates confidence because you know what's wrong. You know where you're coming from. Right, and, that, and that's crucial, you know, for medications you may be prescribed where there's contraindications or, you know, you want to make sure there's positive interactions. If you had one doctor, your doctor would have all that record. But as you said, if you're going from clinic to clinic, it, it may not be traveling with you, right? Exactly, and it does not travel with you in uh, in Ontario specifically. So it's really important that you know this stuff. I mean, how many of us don't know our blood type, right? If you're not a normal uh, a monthly blood donor, you may not know your blood type, but that's something that's really important. You have a health card, you can answer that question right away. Also, you know, I find sometimes, you know, you might have a reaction to like an antibiotic, you know, but maybe that was five years ago and you can't recall the exact antibiotic that, you know, you broke out in a rash, but that's pretty important when a doctor is diagnosing and, 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 you know, making a prescription. So. Absolutely. And I don't know how many times I've been to the, you know, emergency room and they ask when the last time my, my son or daughter had their tetanus shot and I can't remember, but right. if I have it on a little card, it's in my wallet, I can look it up really easily. Right. One of the other tools that you guys have on the website are tips for doctor's visits. So what sort of information would you find on that? So that's really gives you first sample questions. So you're not trying to think on your feet. So it's saying, so the tips are, are essentially, you know, these are the types of questions you can ask, and then it gives you the samples. So that's the most important thing. It also outlines your rights and responsibilities. So saying you actually have the right to ask clarifying questions. And then on the doctor's side, we have tips for communicating with patients for low literacy. So that gives them more strategies using things like a teach-back techniques, where they ask, instead of saying, do you understand, which may get a very, you know, nodding yeah, kind of agreement. Who's, who's going to say they don't understand? Exactly. Whereas they go, can you explain to me what this drug is for? And then, you know, teaching doctors about their responsibilities to really make sure that the, the information they're, they're giving is internalized by the patient. Okay. And you, another tool that I think we talked about before the interview was you and your pharmacist. What's that? So your pharmacist is a poster. So you and your pharmacist is a poster. And this is something that we want to, as many pharmacists in Canada put up in, in their pharmacies. And it, it really just includes many of the supports and services that pharmacists provide. So it says this is what you can do. This is, you know, these are some of the things. So for example, a lot of people don't know you can get your flu shot from your pharmacist. Right. So it has some of the, those types of things, but it's up and it's written in clear language. It's presented in a very simple design that people can uh, relate to, even if they have barriers to, to reading English. And it's just one of the tools that we have for healthcare professionals that we think is really important. And again, all of this is to drive the conversation and to get people to start being okay asking more questions and doctors to be okay and pharmacists being okay to take a little bit of time to make sure people are really understanding what we're talking about. And to that end, one of the other tools that you have, and we only have time for one more question, is is a caregiver support list, which I think is really, really important. Yeah, so the caregiver is our, um, and this can be anyone that's a caregiver. And what the whole purpose of this program is, is to improve the health and wellness of Canadians. And it really focuses on bringing 
building up confidence and knowledge and the conversation. And that goes for the caregivers, it goes for the patients, and it goes for the doctors. And the caregiving worksheet is really about that. So it's about the confidence and really allowing people the time and space they need to have these important conversations. For our listeners, where do they access this information? What's the website again? It's abchealthmatters.ca. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you very much. We'll have to have you back again soon. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For my publisher's note on Grace, be sure to pick up your copy of the October issue of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss genius recipes, the importance of sleep, and breakfast hacks. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.